Every song we sang this morning was a song of worship, okay? And that's what we're going to talk about this morning, worshiping with the wise men. You say, well, it's not Christmas yet. I know. I'm going to get you ready for it, though, all right? Because if you don't get this right, then you can just forget about all the other weeks to follow. Um, Tony's going to be bringing a message next week for us, and then I'm going to, and then Tony, and then I'm going to. We're going to kind of tag up on some Christmas messages beginning uh, next Sunday morning, so I I know he's going to be ready and fired up and ready to go, and so come, invite somebody to come with you, and uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be a crazy holiday. It already has been. Just for your information. If, uh, if you'll take downtown Atlanta and draw a circle of 100 miles all the way around that, if there's a Ross in there, I've been there this week. <laughs> so if you want to know how to get there, you just let me know, and I'll tell you, I can drive you right to it. Where, where's Fran? It was so good to see her this morning up here in her place. Uh, I, I'm, I'm sure she would want to thank you for reaching out to her this week and lost her dad. Um, but just having her in her place up there just spoke volumes to me. I'm going to, um, I can't let you get out of Jude yet, okay? So I want to read this because I'm just sitting there thinking about this this morning. And, and this, is kinda, this is kind of the whole mentality. It's found really in the last verse. To the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty and dominion and power both now and forevermore. Amen, which is enough said, right? But over the book of Matthew, I, I just want to share with you some thoughts this morning. So let's just read, if you would. We'll begin in, in um, chapter 2 and read through about verse 12 or so. All of you know this story. All of you could probably recite it by heart. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, wise men came from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard these things, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where Christ should be born. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what was spoken of the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, the land of Judea, are no longer least among the princes of Judah. For out of you shall come a governor who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had privately called the wise men, carefully inquired of them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child. And when you have found him, bring me word again so that I may come and worship him too. When they heard the king, they departed. And the star which they saw in the east went before them until it came over and stood where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with great excitement or great joy. And when they came into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. When they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. But being warned in a dream that they should not return to here, they returned to their own country another way. I just want to share some thoughts with you this morning uh, about this matter of uh, of worship. I I think the, the whole idea of worship can be summed up in one chapter and in one verse found in John chapter 4 and verse 23. Here's what it says. The hour is coming and now is. Okay, so, so John's just, just saying to people he's writing to, this is the time. 
When true worshipers, and if you would circle that word true because it becomes very important in what we're going to talk about this morning. When true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Now look at this. For the Father seeks such to worship Him. There's going to come a time when men will worship the Father in spirit and truth. And I think you could probably say it this way. The Father is seeking people like that to worship Him. The Father, through the Holy Spirit, is seeking worshipers. Now, there are a lot of things I suspect that, that we equate as being worship. Uh, just think about it for a moment. We come to a church on a Sunday morning, and we sit through a Sunday school class. Uh, we are occupied with the things that are going on around us. We'll sit, we'll listen to someone teach. We'll come into the sanctuary, we'll sing songs, worship songs. And, um, and then the preacher will get up and preach, and he'll open the Scripture, and, and, and hopefully it's a, it's, a, it's a biblical message that he will preach. But can I just say to you, that's not worship. Because you can do those things and not worship. I don't know how many times I've made this comment. I could get up here and preach to you on any given Sunday, touch your emotions, have you in the floor squalling, and I'd be so far from the Spirit as I could possibly get. The Father is seeking true worshipers. The Father is seeking those who would worship Him in spirit and in truth. And so we, we talk about all these things that we could say that worship is. Those things that we engage in. Those things that we do. But it occurred to me this week, and I think about this, all the things that I have mentioned. The preaching and the teaching and the missionary work, and the witnessing. Did y'all know none of that is going to be taking place in heaven? Can, can, you, can you think about this for a minute? There'll be nobody witnessing to the goodness of Christ when they get to heaven. There won't be any missionary efforts in heaven because guess what? They're all believers. Probably won't be any preaching. I'm sure there'll probably be a lot of preachers that would like to have a congregation and preach in heaven because now they know everything. A lot of us just think we know everything, but now we will know everything. But really won't be any need for any kind of preaching in heaven because uh, the living word will be there. It would be like the guy, you remember I said one time, who went to heaven and wanted to give a lecture on the Johnstown flood, and he was so excited because he lived through that flood. And, and so an angel kind of gathered him up a congregation, and before he got started, there was some whispering. And somebody said, well, what's the deal? And this guy walks over and says, what's the matter? What, what's everybody so excited about? They said, well, Noah's in the crowd. So it, it would be kind of tough to get up and preach a message on the goodness of Jesus and him be sitting there in the congregation with you, you know. So there will be, for all practical purposes, a lot of things that we do here that we won't be doing in heaven. But there's one thing we will be doing, and that is worshiping. Somebody said one time, this is the elementary school of the graduation on the day that we go to heaven and really know and learn how to worship and, and, really, and really learn what that's all about. But all of these things that we do in and of themselves are, are just not worship. They're not a good definition of worship. So I said, well, what is worship? You know, we, we, we do this a lot of times. And look, I understand it. We do it a lot of times. And, and they say, and, and, and you know, got a lot of guys will get up and say, well, let's get up and let's worship in song. Well, yeah, but that's just kind of not it. 
or we're going to worship uh, around God's word this morning. Well, yeah, I mean, those are, those are all things that may be very necessary for worship, and they may be part of the worship experience, but that is not worship in and of itself. I call those the expressions of worship. When you sang this morning, you were expressing worship. When I open the Bible and I preach from God's Word, I am expressing worship, but it doesn't necessarily have to be worship because we can do those things without worshiping. So the question is that we have to ask ourselves is how, how is our worship? I'm afraid that true worship has been lost among a lot of the expressions of worship. Well, the worship was great this morning, wasn't it? Well, was it? Your emotions were touched? Yeah, you were moved? Yes. But the fact of the matter is, is worship can happen and not everybody experience it. Worship basically is a heart matter. It's a very individual thing that we experience as we come in contact with God, specifically on a Sunday morning or during our quiet time or whenever else. The fact of the matter is, is that Worship can happen anywhere, anytime. I was thinking about, I, I, I jotted this down this week because I was, I was reading a guy, and, and, and here was his prayer. Because he, he, he started his prayer and said, Our Father, we've not come into the Lord's house today. We are the Lord's house. And it just kind of, you know, that just kind of put everything in perspective. The, the, the temple of God. Don't you know that your body is a temple of the living God? We, we are here this morning as many temples making up, the, making up stones or building materials in God's great enterprise of building His temple, building His kingdom. So I, I, I thought about this and uh, I thought, well, maybe we have substituted some outward rituals for some inward realities. We, we enjoy things on the outside, but how is it doing, what's it doing to us on the inside? What is worship? What is meaningful worship? Now, I'm just going to, I'm, I'm going to share a couple of things with you that I, that I looked up this week. Uh, the English Dictionary defines it as this, worship is homage or reverence paid to a deity, especially in a formal service. To attend public worship is, is, is one of those. Now, what it does do is it does go on to say that it's an expression of adoration and devotion, which gets a little bit nearer to that, but worship is much more than a formal service. As the definition of the English dictionary goes on, we begin to understand as we look at that, it's probably because over the years, words change. The meanings of words change. Let me give you a great example. When Paul says, for your conversation is in heaven, okay, we know that in early writings of the Scripture, conversation talked about your behavior or your, your way of life. It, it, it was basically a, a word that meant your, your um, connection with life itself and how you live out that life. Now, over the years, if you look in the dictionary, you will see where conversation becomes totally different than what your behavior is. Because conversation today would carry this idea of some kind of expression or some kind of 
or some kind of dialogue between two parties. That would be what we would call conversation today. So we know, we obviously know that words change. And I suspect that throughout the years, the, the word for worship has really, may very well have changed. From this idea of the, the expression of what happens to you on the inside uh, to what we do or what we participate in on the outside. Does that make sense? Are we good with that? So, so it does. It, it, it changes. Now, Scripture, as Scripture describes worship, describes it as being a part of the whole existence of the Christian life. The Bible is full of comments about worship, what worship is, and how to worship, and who is worshiping. Listen to what A.W. Tozer said. A.W. Tozer wrote a book called uh, Whatever Happened to Worship. I don't know if y'all have ever read that one or not, but, but here's what he says. This is a quote. I say that the greatest tragedy in the world today is that God has made man in his image and made him to worship him, made him to play, as it were, the harp of worship before the face of God day and night. But man has failed God and dropped his harp. It lies voiceless at man's feet. Worship is extremely difficult to define. If I were to ask you what is worship, you would probably go through and, and, and mention a whole lot of things. The, the, the thing about worship is, is that worship can't be drawn. Draw me a picture of worship. Well, you can't do that. Well, worship can't really be articulated in any kind of language. Worship is extremely difficult to, to put your finger on, and in doing that, it creates a tremendous amount of counterfeits. A, a lot of things today that fall under the category of worship are not worship at all. As a matter of fact, I've seen some that would border on blasphemy. As if we can approach God with any way that we want to. Uh, large words, um, eloquent speech, yeah, all of that is if we can impress God. Write this down if you would. This is the best I can come up with. Worship is the adoration of God in our spirit. The adoration of God in our spirit. Now you say, well, what do you mean by that? Well, here's what I mean by that. I mentioned this last week. I'll, I'll continue to mention it again. When you were born, you were born flawed. Right? We're born sinners, every one of us. Now, those little babies come along as pretty as they are. We just know good and well before it's over with, they're going to expose their real selves. They're going to lie to you. They're, they're, they're going to, um, they're going to wreak, wreak, wreak havoc. Just, just, the Bible says that foolishness is bound in the heart of a child. And so we, we know, listen, we know. The Bible tells us by one man sin entered the, the world and death by sin. So if all of us have sinned, then all of us, all of us are going to die, then all of us have sinned. And so we are born flawed. You are born basically 
with three dimensions. The first dimension I would call the flesh. That's that thing that, that communicates with your surroundings. We feel and we taste and we touch and, and we see things and we're able to communicate with people who are around us through our flesh. But what drives that flesh is what I call our soul, that, that personality part of us, that part of us that has mind, emotion, and will. It is flawed. It's a mess. It's, it's twisted. Uh, and so a lot of times we communicate through our flesh by what our emotions or what our will or what our soul is feeling at the time. That's why as humans we're just kind of like this a lot of times, right? Just however, however my personality is feeling, however my mind or my will or my emotions are feeling, then that's what you can expect from me. But there's also a part of us that is born dead. And that is that God consciousness, that spirit inside of all of us that we have, and yet it is dead. It has the ability to communicate with God as long as it has an energy that's exerted on it to awaken it so that the possibility that the communication between God and I can take place. But the fact of the matter is it's not something I can do myself. That's why Paul says, And you who were dead in your trespasses and sin, has he quickened or really made alive? Somewhere along the way, the Holy Spirit came, and he gave a little flicker to that spirit that's in you, that God consciousness. And all of a sudden, somewhere along the way, you had that flash of knowledge that Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is who he said he is. God God has done what God has said he's going to do. And, and, in, and in your will and your soul part of you, as the Spirit touches that, you go, yeah, that's true. And then that's when we become believers. And the process begins with the Spirit through the soul. And then our outward expressions are controlled through those avenues. So my spirit is to influence my soul. My soul is to influence my flesh. Am I making sense at all? That there was a part of us that was dead. That's why a lot of people can say who you know that there's just no doubt. That they just they will they will admit to you they're not followers of Jesus. Yet they get so excited in worship, it's because the the emotion is being tickled or, or being moved by whatever's going around you, but, but worship is not happening. Worship can only happen in that part of you that is God-conscious, and the only way that you can worship is that the Holy Spirit comes to you and awakens that Spirit in you, and you become living through the Spirit, and then your Spirit begins. Now, look, it, it, it doesn't become a mighty oak to begin with, does it? it? It's that person that Paul talks about being on milk. Have to give you milk. You're just a little baby, but it grows. You know what? You put an acre in the ground. It's not a mighty oak, but it has the potential of having the mighty oak. Now, listen, when your spirit awakens, you don't become this great warrior for the kingdom of God. But I'm going to tell you what: it is in you at that time to become that. And it is through that connection with God and growing with God and and and, and moving back and forth in this matter of God, adoration of God in our worship. We are 
created to communicate with God. We are to adore God in our spirit. Now, let me ask you a question. This morning when we were singing those songs, where was that coming from? Where, where, on the inside of you, what was it touching? When we were singing, hallelujah, holy, holy, Lord God Almighty, was that coming from your emotion or was that coming from out of your spirit? Adoring God in your spirit. Listen to what Thomas Carlyle said. Worship is transcendent wonder. Now think about this for a minute. Being caught up, that's transcendent, being caught up. Worship is being caught up in wonder. Now listen to this, I love this. It means that we are caught up in that which is above us and beyond us. We are caught up in wonder of someone that is beyond our capacity to understand or to grasp. We are taken up with the glory of God. Worship, that which we can do from redeemed hearts and from quickened spirits, is the highest occupation and function and activity of the believer of God. Words fail to define that. I get that. But it's that part of you that is touched by God Himself that moves you from inside out. Not Listen, salvation doesn't occur from the outside in. You don't start feeling like you want to be saved and then get saved. Hey, it starts on the inside and it works its way out. You don't, Miss Elaine, thank God you're here this morning. I'm telling you, I'm so glad to see you. That's my, that's my amen corner over there. We ought to be occupied with worship. It is the most divine and holiest spiritual thing that you can do is worship. But it happens in the deepest core of your being. That part of you which comes alive at salvation. And by the way, ladies and gentlemen, if you've truly been saved, it'll be something that you won't ever be able to get over. I love people who have been saved for years and they just can't get over it. They're still excited about it 50 years later. That's what salvation will do. You know, people, people like that are truly worshiping. All right? It, it, it's all about the greatness of God. It's all about the attributes of God, to be saturated in God. That's what worship is, to be saturated in God. There have been times when I've been that way. There have been times I haven't. There, there are a whole lot of things that, that build into being able to make that connection day after day. You see, we're, we are to live in the presence of God continually. Sometimes we're, we have a tendency to crawl off the altar, though, don't we? So let's just take this story this morning for a few minutes. And, and let's look at it. And I want to share just, just, just three really quick thoughts with you this morning about this matter of worshiping with a wise man. Although definitions fail, although it's kind of hard to express sometimes, the Bible is full of instances where it shows us how we can worship and how to, how to keep our focus right. Now, I want you to notice, first thing is this right here. I want you to see the distance of worship. Now, now a lot of people will tell you, well, it's not very far from your head to your heart. I get that. I totally get that. But, but we've got to understand that 
we don't just decide we want to worship and then start worshiping. There, there, sometimes there's a big distance between what we do and truly worshiping. Is that, y'all okay with that? Um, what I mean by that is uh, there's a long journey from knowledge to worship. Now, there are two things I see here as I look at this passage of Scripture that we could say about these men. First of all, I believe they were knowledgeable. As a matter of fact, if you'll notice, it says that these wise men came from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. How do they know he's king of the Jews? I think they had some old biblical knowledge. I was so... I just had to sit back and listen to our college kids talk this morning. And here's what one of them said. I got so caught up in this one discipline, and that was all I was reading, and I came to the realization I wasn't reading the Scripture. Did you know what the Bible says about knowledge? Knowledge has the ability to make you proud. Knowledge puffs up. Y'all seen that little phrase there? Knowledge puffs up. That's what that means. That means I could get up here on any given Sunday morning and look down on you guys and say, well, I know so much more than y'all. I can't believe you're not listening to me. I can't believe you're not learning anything. I think some of the simplest messages that were preached were preached by Jesus himself. Peter, you remember, preached on the day of Pentecost. Just a few minutes, just a few sentences, the 3,000 people got saved. It wasn't, wasn't his, wasn't this, it's not this intellectual knowledge. It's not knowing in our heads what true worship is because knowledge has the ability to make us proud. These guys probably knew the Scripture. Not only that, they were astronomers. They had the scientific evidence too. You see? Where is he who is born king of the Jews? We have seen his star in the east and we're come to worship him. I didn't know that's his star. They watched the stars. They, they, they paid attention to what was going on around them. But the fact of the matter is, knowledge helps worship, but knowledge can never be worship. Scientific fact does not lead people to worship. Proof. Listen, if that were true, then everybody in the whole world would be believers because there's enough evidence in the existence of Jesus Christ to convince the whole world. Y'all see where I'm headed with this? Just because we know something, I'd be willing to bet that 75% of the population of the United States can quote John 3.16. And there are 75% of them that would say, I'm going to heaven when I die. How do you know that? Because I've been good. Because I've kept all the rules. Their, their knowledge didn't help them a whole lot, does it? Worship, knowledge aids in worship, but knowledge is not worship. Knowing the facts, even scientifically, can aid in what we believe and help authenticate what we believe. But the fact of the matter is, is that that, that does not lead us to worship a lot of times. You remember? When Jesus even said one time, even if somebody rises from the dead, they won't believe him. Somebody did rise from the dead. And there's a whole lot of folks still don't believe it. 
So it's not anything about our knowledge. I mean, you think, I know God. Well, how do you know God? I, I know what true worship is. How do you know that? You see, these men knew that the king of Jews was expected. Whereas he who was born king of the Jews, they, they had some knowledge. They had, they had some, they, they were astronomers. They, they had some knowledge. But folks, that wasn't enough. That wasn't enough. Look at what happens here. These wise men came from the east to Jerusalem saying, Where is he who is born king of the Jews? For we have seen the star of these. We've come to worship him. you got to go all the way. you got to come to where he is. Now listen to me very carefully. I get it. We are so dead in our trespasses and sin that Jesus had to come to us. But when you have the biblical knowledge and when you know the experiences of life, there comes a point when you got to go to Him. Where do you go? You go to the cross. The beginning of the Christian life begins at the cross. The death of Jesus Christ. It's going all the way. Knowing, knowing what He did is not enough. Reading about what he did is not enough. Having all of this intellectual knowledge is not enough. you got to go all the way. And these men did. The distance, the distance of knowledge, the distance of worship. These men were excited. They were overwhelmed. But that wasn't enough. They needed to go farther. They needed to come where he was. They needed to see him. They couldn't stay out of his presence any longer. We are blessed today with an abundance of biblical wealth. Can I just tell you, we probably understand more about the Christian life today than the men and women did in the day that Jesus walked on this earth. We've got it. It's out there. More than ever before, we have, this, we have this knowledge. And every generation that goes by, we know more and more and more. But where is worship to be found in its truest sense? It's not in knowledge. It's not in knowledge. Now listen to this. Listen to this. John, the third epistle of John, third John... Verse 4, and I'm not going to send you like I do with you, chapter 1, verse, there's one, there's one chapter, okay? Listen to this for a moment. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in the truth. Knowing the truth is good, and it really is. But if you want to bring real joy to the heart of God... Walk in the truth. Have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. God is seeking worshipers. Knowledge can give you a buzz. I get that. I love it when I read something new. <laughs> I know you do too. But worship has to go the distance. Worship has to fall at the feet of Christ. Worship has to adore Him in person. Not from a distance. 
I'm afraid a lot of our knowledge today keeps us from the Savior. These guys weren't taken up by biblical prophecy. They weren't taken up by a star that they saw in the skies. As supernatural as it was, they came to worship. Okay? So the distance of worship, listen, it's not, sometimes not, not easy to get there, right? You remember the, 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 the parable of the soils? You got this seed of the Word of God, and this sower goes out and he seeds it, and one of the places where it falls is among weeds. There's a lot of stuff in y'all's lives right now that, that have the potential of choking out your worship. I, I, I understand it. Look, I get it. Trials and tribulations and, and heartache and loss and, and financial problems and marital problems and children problems. All of us bring junk in here with us. And all of that has potential of choking out worship. The second thing I notice here, it's found in verse 11, is that worship is costly. Worship is costly. Now, now, if, if you look on down around verse 11. And when they came into the house, they saw the young child of Mary's mother. They fell down his, his feet. They worshiped him. And when they had opened their, will you circle this word treasures? When they had opened their treasures. Worship is costly. They brought unto him gold and frankincense and myrrh. Why? Well, those were gifts fitting for a king. Those were gifts that, that were fit for kings. Now, look, I get, I, look I, I get it. I get this. I get this right here, okay? Y'all listen to me very closely. I get this. What can you bring to someone who has and owns everything? That, that's a lot of the argument. What, what can I bring? Well, the fact of the matter is, it's nothing. But let me ask you this. What you do bring, does it honor who he is? Worship is bringing something. They brought unto him their treasures. What if I stood back there in the foyer or, or back here at this door next Sunday morning and when you came in I say, what gift did you bring this morning? I'm not talking about your money. Everybody goes, oh, he's talking about money. No. No, you get to keep your money right now, okay? What did you bring him? If I were to stand out there and say, this morning... Or if I were to say to you when you leave, what gift did you bring this morning that was worthy of him? Worship will cost you something. So worship is giving something. Worship is bringing something. But it's also giving something. So you bring something, you give something. They brought their gifts, but they gave them to him. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. I know, look, we can go through all that. Well, one for a king, one for a burial, one for this, one for a priest. I, I, I get all that. 
Maybe our attitudes, all of our attitudes needs to be like that of King David. You remember David um, took the Jebusite city, which eventually became Jerusalem. And the Jebusite king wanted to give that site to King David. He wanted to, he brought him all of this stuff. I mean, David, David wanted to worship, but you know what? David didn't have to do anything. Here's what David said. I will not offer burnt offerings unto the Lord my God that has cost me nothing. Folks, let me tell you something. If it didn't cost you anything, it's not worth anything. Y'all with me? If your worship doesn't cost you something, then it's not worth something. Worship is... Bringing something, worship is giving something. Listen, these men didn't just live two doors down in the city of Bethlehem. It probably took them two years. Now, if you'll notice there very carefully, it doesn't say they came to the stable. It says they came to the house. And it doesn't say where the infant was, but where the young child was. Most people believe that Jesus was about two years old at this time. He was a toddler. And they come to the house, probably Joseph's house, where the young child was. They were guided by the star. And yet they, they came to where he was. Think about this for a moment. What did worship cost these men? The gifts... Think about this for a minute. Can you see a man, as he gets together and he's had his men's group meeting, and, and several of them have decided, and I listen, by the way, I don't know if there was three kings, because the Bible doesn't say there was. It says there were three gifts. I don't know. I'm sure they had an entourage with them. But let's just take one of these men. He goes to his home, and he tells his wife, he said, listen, I've got, I'm on a journey. I've got to take a journey. I have to leave you here, leave you in charge of the house and taking care of the kids. I know it's kind of tough, but it's just something I've got to do. And so he kisses her goodbye, and he calls his children, and he says to them, children, I want you to be good while I'm gone. I don't know how long I'm going to be gone, but I'm going to be gone for a little while, but, but kids... It's too important for me not to go. Can you, can you see his children pleading, oh, Daddy, you know, don't, please don't go, please don't go. How long are you going to be gone? I don't know. But i got to go. I'm going to tell you something. People can use all kinds of excuses, but when a man or a woman decides that they need to make it to the feet of Jesus, there won't be an excuse good enough to keep them from going there. Because worshiping him becomes that important. And so he says goodbye to him. And for two years, long days, long nights, it cost them. Worship will cost you time. Worship will cost you emotions. Worship will cost you tears. Worship will cost you absence from your loved ones at times. Worship will cost you your life. 
All of those other things are just the periphery. All those things are, are, are just the incidentals. Can I just say to y'all, listen, when you come in here on a Sunday morning and you're, you're, you're in an attitude of worship, push all these incidentals aside and make a beeline to Him. Because none of that stuff, none of that stuff, it's all good. Listen, it's all good. And it probably helps us become worshipable. But the fact of the matter is, we could have the best music in the world and the best preaching in the world and the best fellowship in the world. But I'm going to tell you what, if Jesus is not in the middle of it, there's not worship taking place. They brought something. They gave something. He owns everything. But they did bring him a gift that was worthy of him. What do you bring? What did you bring this morning? I'm talking about in your heart. I'm talking about deep down in there in that spirit. What do you make that God connect? What did you bring? And if it's not worthy of him, then it's not worship. Our worship, our praise, doesn't add anything to God, who's the recipient of our worship. He has it all. But let me just say this. You can write this down. You can write this down. Whatever is precious to you is precious to Him if you bring it with the right attitude. If you bring it with the right heart, like, have you brought it? If it's precious to you and you bring it as a, as a gift of worship to Him, I'm going to tell you it'll be precious to Him. It'll cost you. But God is seeking for those who would worship Him in spirit and in truth. Lastly of all, We've seen the distance of worship. We've seen the cost of worship. Let's look at the focus of worship just for a moment. The focus of worship. Y'all know this already. And when they saw him, they fell down and they worshiped him. Now let's just move on down just for a little bit. And let's look at verse 10. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with great excitement. And when they came into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother. Y'all with me? Mary, the, the, the chosen woman, the virgin. The great woman that she was. They saw him both. But they worshipped him. That was just for emphasis, y'all. I know you're going to sleep on me. They fell down they worshipped him. They weren't taken up by the knowledge. They weren't taken up by the star. They weren't taken up by the doctrines or the methods or the mechanisms or the diagrams or the programs or the projects or the buildings. Or even the people in it, they were taken up with Him. They weren't taken up by the singing and by the preaching. They were taken up by Him. 
All of this other stuff, they pushed the incidentals aside. It wasn't necessarily about the gifts. It wasn't necessarily about, about the travel. It wasn't necessarily uh, about anything other than Him. We have come to worship Him. We can have, we can have worship without preaching or singing or Sunday school or anything. As long as he's present. You see, here's the deal, y'all. When you pray for our service, you better be praying he shows up. Because until he shows up, worship's not taking place. Until he's the focus and the center of our attention, worship doesn't happen. Now, you look at this and you go, well, okay. Because, there, listen, there, there, is, there is thinking out there today that Jesus was just a mere man. You know, he was just, he, he was one of many great men. I think about John in the book of Revelation. We've been studying through Revelation, you remember? John sees this great picture of heaven. All of a sudden, this angel standing before him, and John falls down to worship him. And I have a feeling that that angel reached down and grabbed him by the neck of the neck, nap of the neck, and picked him up and said, Don't worship me, worship him. Remember Paul and Barnabas one time went into a city. They thought one of them was Zeus and Mercury or whoever those guys were, and then or Jupiter and Mercury. And you remember this priest of Jupiter was going to come and he was going to make a sacrifice. And Paul and Barnabas t- tore their clothes. They said, "Listen, guys, we're, we're just like you are. Worship God." How many things do we get so distracted during our, this time of a year? How many things do we get so distracted in participating in and get so excited about? And the fact of the matter is is that God's just looking for worshipers. Worship God. Adore God. So let me ask you a question. What do you think God sees when He looks down here today? I'll just finish with this story. There's a man by the name of J.H. Bomberger. He tells, us, he tells a story about a man who was taken away into a dream, into a church service. In that vision, he saw the organist and the pianist and they were the musicians. They were just playing vigorously. But he didn't hear anything. And then he saw the preacher get up and the preacher's got the Bible on. He's railing and he's preaching and yet... Doesn't hear anything. And the congregation gets up at the end of the service and they begin to pray the benediction. And the fact of the matter is, as a man is listening, he hears nothing. And he's so discouraged, he, he looks at this angel that, is, that is, 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 is showing him this. He says, what in the world is going on? Here's what he said. You hear nothing because there is nothing. You hear nothing because there is nothing. Folks, in our greatest attempts to worship, in our greatest attempts to sing to the top of our lungs and to preach as hard as we can preach, if it's not done in spirit and in truth, it remains unheard in heaven. Now, that's a tragedy tragedy but there is good news 
because the angel said, well, that's not all. Listen closely. And he heard a voice. And it was the voice of a child. And he listened for a little while. And looked at the angel and said, why can't I hear all of these adults? But I can hear this little child. Here's what the angel said. That child's heart is the only one that has been touched. Well, ladies and gentlemen, it's Christmas time. It's the holidays. It's Thanksgiving. Here's a challenge. This Christmas, this Thanksgiving, these holidays, let it be about Him. Let it be about Him. Because the Father seeks such as those to worship Him.